<laughs> Hi, I'm Lauren G. I'm a compulsive eater and body obsessor, recovering. Um, thank you so much for asking me to be here. I am really nervous and not sure what's going to come out of my mouth because I'm exhausted. I haven't slept in like six nights. Um, so I always like to start with a prayer like, God, please uh, speak by me and through me. And whatever comes out of my mouth, let it be what needs to get said. So, um, and sometimes I find that when I am tired, the good news is, like, I don't have the strength to get in God's way. Like, I'm too exhausted. So I just have to say, God, like, okay, God, you do it. Like, I just can't. So I kind of feel that way today. So um, I'm, I'm not sure what's going to come out. So we will watch this unfold together. Um, so uh, I guess the best way to do it is just what it was like, what happened, and what, it, what it's like now. So what it was like for me. I've been in programs since... Probably August of 2005. I've been, my absence date is October 1st of 2005, so I'll be coming up on nine years, God willing, the, end of, the beginning of next month. Um, so I, I come by this disease and any addiction pretty honestly. Um, I come from a family of addicts, uh, but not terribly acknowledged, not acknowledged really at all, except in the like, isn't that so funny that we spent Rosh Hashanah at the horse track? Like, that's not that funny. Um, or, you know, the fact that uh, both of my grandfathers used to like to play golf and trade secrets about, like, how to get away with cheating on their wives. Wow, this is a podcast. I shouldn't have done that. Um, and, uh, and also, you know, the constant discussion around, in this disease, food and body. And my mom, um, my mom fancied herself the smart sister and that, and her sister was the pretty skinny sister, and that's just crazy, because if, like, if you look at pictures of my mom when she was younger, she's gorgeous and like looks like Mary Tyler Moore, and somehow my, my aunt was the sex object and my mom was like the responsible one. And so my mom constantly felt competitive around what that meant. And what that did for me, uh, particularly because I had a... And, and by the way, let me just say, my grandfather was my favorite person, but because he was like the most charming... Um, flirtatious kind of probably qualified maybe for another program uh, uh, I learned that the, that the most important value a woman had was the way that she looked and um, whether she was desirable I should say it that way whether she was desirable um, and so on some level because he was my favorite person and I idolized him because he was the smartest funniest like I, I mean I he was amazing even with all of his flaws, he was amazing. Um, my son is named after him. Uh, I like, I learned to be like him. And so that meant, uh, sorry, I miss him, so it's still hard, like, you know, 12 years later ish. Um, I learned to objectify women, meeting me and other women out in the world, which, you know, affected my self image and my sexuality. Um, and so what happened was, to fast forward, you know, I, I was always like a, I was a weird concoction eating kid, like, I wasn't allowed to eat sugar until I was three, and I remember the first cookie I ever had, and like, oh, we were off to the races, like, I didn't have sugar cereal, thank you. Um, and like, when I got to college, that was a disaster, um, because, you know, there was, it was everywhere, and you could have as much as you wanted, and my mom was like my binge buddy, and she'd come home from the grocery store and like, try everything together, you know? And so what happened is I moved to LA um, for a career, for like my dream career, uh, and quickly forgot that I moved here to do my dream career and decided that I moved here to be skinny. 
because where I, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, and the party line in Chicago is that like nobody actually looks the way they look in magazines and telev- on television and, and movies because like that's just not reality. And so I kind of was okay with this, like the body image. I was like not great with it, but I was like okay. I mean, I, look, I always kind of felt okay from the neck up and never okay from the neck down. That's the really honest truth. Um, but like I wasn't someone that like all the boys wanted. And in fact, when I was 12 years old, all my girlfriends like. Uh, kind of ditched me, as teenage girls do, um, and I always was convinced it was because boys didn't like me. Um, I don't know if that's the case. You know, I have a spiritual advisor who now suggests that maybe they were threatened. I don't know. Um, but I still have that in my head. So all of that is to say that, uh, you know, I got out here and that, that party line no longer held because the people who are in magazines and in the movies and on TV live here. So I looked around and like I no longer felt adequate, even a little. And so I became completely obsessed with getting as skinny as possible. And part of that, I think, was a little bit of flipping off my mom. Like, you know, I'm going to be better than you. Like, I'm going to do all the stuff that you couldn't do, you know, which is not pretty. But I have a, um, shall I say, challenging relationship with my mother, which has evolved dramatically in program, and we'll get there. Um, but, but it's a challenge. So... Uh, I got a job in the industry that I want to be in, um, but like as an assistant, kind of an apprentice thing, and I had time to do work on developing my craft all day, and instead I looked at diet plans and uh, classes to work out and where I could get a trainer and how I could afford it. And also, um, like, joined a commercial weight loss program, lost 30 pounds, binging on, like, uh, acceptable foods, not just, I don't, whatever. Um, it also involves counting. It involves counting. Said so commercial weight loss program involves counting. I am on the OCD spectrum, so that is a disaster for me. Like I would count my food, I would count your food, I would count the dog's food, like and recount it all day long as if the first time I counted it, it was wrong. I'm also the daughter of an accountant, so those two things together is like not good at math. I think until I realized like how much counting I did. Um, so I got skinny. I decided that like oh now I finally have the body I wanted. Let's take it out and see what it can do. And uh, I got myself into some trouble um, emotionally. Like, thank God nobody found out, you know, but I was involved with some inappropriate people. And uh, because I wanted everyone to want to sleep with me and needed that kind of validation, which is um, part of me being in another program, but also part of, like, why I'm here, you know? Like, I'm here because I want validation from the outside, and, like, the inside is never good enough. So uh, I was at... I was at a job, and I did a cleanse, which was a terrible idea because I have a blood sugar issue. I lasted three days. I was told that it was okay to work out on said cleanse. I pulled my sciatica, and a coworker suggested that perhaps I needed this program. Um, she had a roommate who was in this program who still to this day doesn't know she's my Eskimo. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the scariest thing to me, thank you, the scariest thing to me about getting into the program was the idea of giving up birthday cake. That was my favorite thing. And I was like, you know what? It's, I, I had a moment where, this is like, the bottom for me in terms of my eating was that I, I have a sugar problem. I, have like a, I had a nighttime eating problem. I had a sugar problem. There's a host of foods I can't eat like a lady. Uh, we're talking like, you know, hands in the community jar of peanut butter at work, entire boxes of cereal, like eating my roommate's food and then having to replace it. All that, I did all of it. Um, but at a certain point, my roommate brought home a bag of cookies from work, and I was like, I don't even want those cookies. Like, I'm good. And then the cookies were gone. And I was like, oh, now I have a problem. Like, now I really have a problem. So I, I came to a meeting. My first meeting was a meditation meeting, which was great because for some, thank God, I, I have always been 
um, oriented in a spiritual direction. Even if I, I, I grew up Jewish-ish, um, and uh, like I didn't ever really feel like I felt like I fit in in that community. I just because I didn't start as young as everybody else, and I always felt kind of alienated by it. But I did feel a connection to like something more New Agey and spiritual. So going to a meditation meeting, whereas for some people that would be like, I don't understand how to do this. It really worked for me. And uh, actually, I saw somebody who grew up in the town next to me, and ha- we shared a friend in common. She's sitting here, which is awesome. Thanks God. And uh, and that made me comfortable too, because there were a lot of things that could have made me uncomfortable. Um, so what happened? Um, so I came in, and I didn't get abstinent immediately, but pretty close to immediately. Um, so I came in in August, and uh, I struggled quite a bit. Um, I couldn't put down the sugar, blah, blah, blah. I eventually got a sponsor. I got abstinent. I found somebody who, at the time, what I wanted was like abs- more abstinence than me, which kind of meant anybody. And I picked somebody else who was an only child, because I'm an only child, and that felt important in terms of working through my parental stuff. And, uh, and she was enormously helpful for a long time. And, um, and uh, I, I feel like, you know, my, my spiritual awakening in this program actually happened. There's a, um, I couldn't, I, I was obsessed with frozen yogurt. Like, there, there's a frozen yogurt vortex on the west side where, like, you literally, if you drive by, there's, like, there's two on either side. And I couldn't drive by the frozen yogurt vortex without stopping, even though it was, like, not a good situation in my lower GI situation. Um, let's just put it that way. Uh, and I couldn't, I couldn't stop eating it. And I was in my shitty apartment with my roommates, and I was trying to get some work done, and I was obsessed with frozen yogurt, and I couldn't get out of it. And so it was for the first time I prayed, you know? And, uh, like, God, please take this away from me. And I went to a yoga class to try to get God to take it away from me. And I prayed, God, please take this obsession away from me. And God did not take the obsession away from me. I was, like, really pissed off. I thought, like, this was going to... But I didn't eat it. I didn't eat it. I just was still crazy. And the very next day, I got my very first job doing professionally what I wanted to do. Like, I wasn't an assistant. Literally, the next day on a Monday, I got the call that, like, I was going to get to do the thing I wanted to do. And what I've learned in this program is that uh, God gives me not what I want. God gives me what I need. And that is very important for me to remember because I have in my head, like, all these plans and thoughts. And, you know, I was always a type A person. I'm very, I, I've been accomplishment-oriented. I am accomplished, not in an ego way, but just, like, by the, the, on paper, like, I've done some stuff. And, uh, you know, I... I have to remember that God has it because um, getting to do what I do for a living, just as an example, like people don't just get to do that, even if they're talented. There are plenty of talented people who don't get to do it, which means that God has my back. And like that means that is one area of my life where I've aligned myself with God's will because I, I get to work in a creative field and I really believe and have always believed that my gifts creatively don't come from me. And that it is my job to get the F out of the way. And when I do that, when I get out of my, because it's real, also real easy to get into my ego. Like, oh, I did that. Oh, that thing I, whatever, that thing I wrote is on the thing. Whatever. <laughs> um, people see it. Like, I get to, I can, it's real easy to get into the ego about it and start thinking about my reputation and what people think of me and do they like me and validation. And, like, that, I have found specifically that when I start wanting to, like, knock it out of the park or, like, like, uh, finish a project and be like, yeah, spike, spike the football or whatever. I don't know why I'm using sports analogies because I'm not a sports person, but whatever. Um, because it's a visual. That's why. You know, it's a visual. It's like, yeah. And uh, whenever I start to feel that way, my creative work suffers. 
And whenever I focus on being of service, my creative work is better because I'm getting out of the way because that's what it's there for. Um, also, uh, two weeks into my abstinence, I met the man who was going to become my husband. And uh, they say don't date in your first year program. Probably right. Um, I have not had a not tumultuous relationship with my husband who later ended up in this program. Um, you can find him on the podcast too. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, part of the reason I knew I was going to marry him actually is that on our second date, he asked me why I asked them to not put the candied nuts on my salad. And I explained to him that I didn't eat sugar. And he asked me if I was diabetic, and I said I was not. I, I explained that I was a sugar addict, and he said, oh, are you in OA? Like, there are no men that are not in this world. And he wasn't in program at the time, but he had dated some people in program, and so he had gone to some meetings, whatever. He dated everyone in OA. Um, and uh, and I, was, I felt really vulnerable that I had, he was the first person I shared that I was dating, that I had been in this program, and that felt really vulnerable to me. And he actually took my face in his hands and said, I want to make you feel safe. And, like, the fact that I was able to show that side of myself and was received in that way, like, that was my moment. Like, oh, I'm, I'm going to marry that guy. And, and that, I wouldn't have known that if it weren't for this room. And I also, um, my husband and I have been through uh, the ringer. Let's, let's put it that way, um, in terms of our relationship. We went through a really hard time, like, three years ago. And uh, knowing that that was the reason that he and I were together, like, that at the, bo- the bottom line of the reason that he and I were together was because I knew that he was home and not because of all the other stuff. That's because of this program that I stayed, you know, because it was, it was, not, uh, an easy, it was not an easy road. Um, so also in the middle of that, if, as long as I'm talking about the not the easy road, um, some stuff happened. We almost got divorced, and uh, I had my second spiritual awakening. Um, and I, I was on retreat. Um, I, I like took myself out out of everything for for a minute. Like I just needed to get out. Uh, and I was staying by myself. And I was meditating. And I was praying every day. Like I was writing a letter to God every single day. Uh, Thank you, God. Please tell me what I'm supposed to do. And and I and and for me, like the beauty of that level of surrender. Like every bad thing, bad thing that's ever happened to me has brought me to a new level of spiritual connection. Um, and, and that is such an important thing for me to remember today, that, like, the depths of despair that I reach are directly proportional to how high I can get and close to God. Good high, not bad high. But, like, that's how... And I, and I actually, I have a philosophy about that in terms of program. Like, I actually feel like we all have that capacity. I feel like our addictions are our calling to get close to God. And the, the, the level of our, our... The depths of our despair is actually the level of which uh, we have the capacity to connect. So when I'm really in despair, I, I kind of take heart a little bit, knowing that, like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to connect spiritually. So anyway, I was praying, praying. I wrote a three-page letter to God every day. Please tell me. Tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. Am I supposed to stay with this man? Um, and what I heard, I was sitting at a pool and, like, reading a spiritual book, and what I heard really clearly, like, as if I could actually hear it, was, you're supposed to have a baby with this guy. And I'm like, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Like, we don't know that we're staying together. And, I, and for me, when I think that something sounds ridiculous, I know it didn't come from me. You know? Like, I, I mean, I have enough observing ego to know that, like, when I think, oh, I should go eat that cake and that's going to make that better, like, that's ridiculous and that came from me. 
or my disease, you know, like that, that's a different kind of thing. But when I hear a spiritual solution that's like calm and loving and like I feel like all warm and glowy and I hear something that sounds fucking crazy, that's not me. I hope they do that out. Um, so I, I heard that and I was like, okay, clearly that's some kind of guidance. And I shared that with my husband and he thought I was a crazy person. And, but, you know, we kept working on our marriage, you know, and I, I wrote the three-page letter to God every day, and I kept coming to meetings, and I shared about it, and, and my, the women in this fellowship, you guys, like, they, they saved my life. Like, I, I might have, you know, I don't know what I would have done. I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have the women friends that I have in this program, and, like, I told you guys what happened when I was 12. Like, I don't do female friends. Like, that did not work for me. I didn't trust them. And frankly, still it's hard for me. Like, I have people that call me and ask me how I'm doing, and I don't text them back or call them because I'm like, well, they can't possibly care about me. But I'm learning, you know? I'm learning. And uh, lo and behold, you know, my husband and I figured it out and decided to have the baby, and now we have this 16-and-a-half-month-old beautiful son who uh, is the reason that I haven't slept in six days. And... Um, and lo and behold, like, us having a common goal to be of service together dramatically changed our relationship. And, like, I, I would not suggest having a baby to save somebody's marriage. I'm just saying that's what happened, you know. And, uh, and, and what that has to do with programming is that I just kept trusting God. Like, I kept taking a leap of faith. Like, I really just kept stepping onto the unseen bridge, and, and like, the stone appeared after my foot was there, you know. Um, and I, I would never have had the faith to do that. If, uh, if I didn't have these rooms. Um, and also, my God, pregnancy in this program? Wow. I, I really, like, I, I was in shape. I, like, finally in program, healthily in shape, not compulsively exercising, because I was totally an exercise limit too, which I don't talk about, but that's true. I just was. Um, I was in good shape, and I got pregnant. And, of course, I got this, like, okay, great. Like, now I'm pregnant. I was in shape for 20 minutes, and now I'm going to get fat. <laughs> Um, and, you know, because I kept turning my food over to God, I, and my, like, every, I just kept turning everything over to God, you guys. I was, like, I was, so, I got pregnant so fast that, like, I didn't have the opportunity to be like, oh, I really, really want this. And then when we get the test, it's like, woohoo! It was like, I think we want this. Maybe we should, what do you mean I'm pregnant? <laughs> it was that. And so I had a nine-month-long panic attack, honestly. Like, when they said push, I said, I don't want to. I'm not ready to meet him. And, uh... And he came out, and he was, like, the biggest gift of my life. And that's another thing. Like, I have plans. I thought I couldn't uh, – my career had to be at a certain place to have a baby. Like, um, that my body needed to be in a certain place to have a baby. That things were – like, if I had a baby, I wasn't going to get taken seriously in my career. I was pregnant. I literally was so pregnant I was ready to drop a baby when I had, like, the biggest career moment of my life thus far. You know? Totally happened in the reverse order. God's plans are so much bigger than mine. And what I've learned in this program is that – if I want to be in charge, I can be. Like, God will let me have it. Like, God will be like, go ahead, you do it, and let's see how you do. And sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's a total train wreck. But if I say, okay, God, like, I don't know, so you do it, that is me making room for a miracle. And then God comes in and creates something that's way better than I ever could have possibly created. And I'm a very creative person. Like, I can come up with a lot of stuff. God just has it. So, so here's an example. Um, and I'm going to share about this to get current just because... Uh, you know what, I'll get there. Just in terms of the baby, though. So I have this baby. My body stays totally normal, like, while I'm pregnant. I gain, like, 
the, probably the least amount of weight that you can gain when you're pregnant. Not be, and I ate what kind of, I don't eat sugar recreationally. I don't eat wheat because it makes me asthmatic. But if you told me coming in here that I was going to be a no sugar, no, it's not no flour, it's just no wheat. A no sugar, no wheat person to get skinny, I would have been out the door and binging my face off. I do it because it makes me, sugar turns me into a vampire. And wheat makes me not be able to breathe. And like, in my, in Hebrew, like, breath and God are the same word. And if I can't breathe, I can't be close to my higher power. You know? So that's it. Like, those reasons make sense to me. It's not about the food or my body. So that's the only way I can do it. And I kind of just, like, ate what felt right. And, like, I went off my food plan. And, frankly, I've been off my food plan since I got pregnant. And I'm now smaller than I was when I got in the program and had lost 30 pounds in the commercial diet program. Like, I just kind of have trusted God. And, yes, breastfeeding is a huge gift, you know? Like, it is to be able to eat like a trucker and like not worry about it. Um, and I, but I exercise regularly and I chase after my toddler and I was able to tell, I, I get to work out with a trainer and I told him, don't train to be on a red carpet, train me to chase after a little boy, you know? And that's a beautiful gift today to like get out of my ego. So what's happening today? What's happening today is that um, I am in a position now where I have like had a complete identity crisis. I have this six month, 15 month old son who like I was always identified as a career woman and now I am a mommy and I don't know how to do that. And um, I have judgment around every time I make a decision to be mommy instead of career person, even though that's the most noble thing ever. Um, if I were to, if I heard that somebody else say that, I'd be like, yes, obviously, but for, not for me. Like, I'm a career person, thank you. Um, but I made some decisions based on self-care, not to be in a toxic situation. It wasn't just for him. And also, also to be of service to my son. And also because, like, if I'm in a toxic situation, I'm an asshole. And so I don't want to be that in my house, you know? Um, but the ego-driven decision would have been to do the other thing, you know? Um... And now I'm living with that, and also I have an opportunity that has presented itself to me that isn't as bright and flashy as I want, but it's something about which I am kind of passionate. And in fact, I suggested that we did this project. It's a big flashy place, and they told me no. And then the less flashy place came to me and said, why don't we do this, which is the same topic. So that, that's God working in my life, right? It's so clear that there's God working in my life. And my addict brain is like, but it's not flashy enough. I'm like, what are people going to think of me? And like, all of that gross stuff. Now, the good news is that I get to go and share that with people at meetings. And I get to think, okay, how can I be of service, right? Instead of what can I get? And when I start thinking about how can I be of service, the answer becomes really clear to me. Always. Like, what would God have, for, have me do? Um, not even what does God want for me, because, like, who says God wants? Like, that's, you know, God doesn't, I don't know. Uh, but, like, how can I be of service, right? How can I connect to, like, my um, divine purpose? And it's clear, like, I have an opportunity here to reach a lot of people, and it might not be as bright or shiny, and it might not win me a statue, but it, it, it actually might help some people. Um, and that's really beautiful that I can do that today. Um, also, in the last minute, I, um, I have this... 16-month-old right now who uh, is having a respiratory issue and we, I have him sleeping in our bed. Um, and he, he had been sleeping for the night and now he is not and he's nursing all night. And um, now that he is a bigger boy, that is like being assaulted from like midnight until six in the morning. I'm just going to be honest. It's like it's physically painful. 
And um, <clears throat> the only way that I get thank you, the only way I can get through it is by praying, like, God, please help me be of service. God, please help me be of service. You know what? I'm here. I showed up today, even though I don't want to. Um, because I'm exhausted or I think I'm not going to say the right thing or I get all, in all kinds of judgment. But at the end of the day, I'm just trying to be of service. Um, and uh, whatever character defects I have when I pray for God to help me just be of service, those character defects, they don't get removed, but they get um, pushed to the side, you know? Uh, I think that's my time. Uh, so thank you so much for letting me share. I hope I said something of value, and uh, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much. Are there any questions? Casey. Thank you very much. Um, you think that I didn't have time. Could you talk a bit about how your relationship with your mother has changed by what you've done? Yes, thank you. The question is, uh, how has my relationship with my mother changed after working the steps? Um, in my fourth step, I had, uh, I think it was 219 resentments against my mother. Um, God willing, she gets in the program and then she hears this podcast and then everything is going to go to hell again. Um, but uh, I did that and I got to see my part in it. And also, um, it kind of removed some of the like simmering, you know, to have, have put pen to paper and share it with another person and also to have the other person say to me, yes, that, that must have been really hard. Because my mom had, had like this kind of great Santini quality about her that everyone else thought she was incredible and fun and everyone wanted to hang out in my house. And then when it was just us, it was not a good situation. Um, so, so what has happened over the course of my spiritual journey is like having compassion for her, learning to accept that she is who she is and she is where she's at. Um, one of the things that has changed dramatically for me is I had a huge resentment about being an only child, and now I have a kid, and I see how hard it is, and I get it. Like, I really get it. Because um, I was a sick kid. I was sick until I was six years old. And, like, I've had six nights of not sleeping, not six years, you know? So being able to have compassion for her, um, being able to lower my defenses because I know that I'm okay, because I have a higher power and I have fellows who support me, um, some of my anxiety was just around like there, here's this person who's supposed to be my everything and like I'm not really getting what I need and now I'm getting what I need like I've learned to reparent myself so I don't have so many expectations of her I've learned to set boundaries in this program like even though it's painful I had a sponsor who also had a challenged relationship with her mother and so uh, now when my parents come and stay with me even though it caused a huge ruckus to say this I was able to say to my mom I think when you stay longer than three nights in our house we all fight with each other. Um, maybe if you want to stay for longer than three nights in Los Angeles, it would be helpful for you to stay someplace else for part of the time. And now they do that because it wasn't just like, we don't want you here. It was like, for the good of the whole, right? It's like one of the traditions, you know? Uh, we don't need to do that. And, and, you know, being a mom has been helpful in terms of being able to say to her, uh, you don't get to pull this stuff around my son. Like, even when I'm not able to set boundaries for myself, which is still hard for me sometimes, it's really easy for me to protect another person because, again, that's, like, me being of service. So, um, and, and also, I think the most profound thing is that I have changed, and she has seen it through working with staff, and she's not willing to get into these rooms because God knows she, she needs them. Um, but she's a, she's a, she has a very big struggle with her food, and so does my dad. Um, but she is constantly saying, I respect you and admire you so much, and, like, I've learned so much from you, and it's not often that a mother gets to learn from her daughter. 
And that is the kind of validation that I kind of always wanted, you know. Um, and I think I've just learned to be more honest. But there's another piece of it, too, which is that, you know, when I was 24 years old, I, I came out to my parents as bisexual, and they were literally horrible and said every bad after-school special thing you could imagine. And seven years later, they actually apologized to me, and I said thank you and moved on instead of, like, holding on to that because I've learned what it means to make amends in this program and how helpful that is. And so that has changed things dramatically, too. Um, so that's it. That's the answer to the question. Joe. Um, the question is to talk about my spiritual evolution and how my relationship with my higher power helped me get over the food obsession. Um, that's a big question. Uh, I have a spiritual advisor. That's, you know, in terms of outside help, that's been incredibly helpful for me. And not, it's interesting. My spiritual work, this is the best way to put it. And this is, I'm, I'm going to say something controversial. Uh, I know that the, the people say whatever you put before a program, you lose. I have not found that to be true. I found whatever I put before God, I lose. Um, and so uh, my spiritual journey has largely just been focused on connecting with God independently of the food. And somehow, like, I don't pay that much attention to the food. And it's okay. And it's a little, it's not as structured, since, since the pregnancy, like, it's not as structured as it could be. Um, I eat things that are arguably not that clean some of the time. And it just kind of takes care of itself. And, like, I'm in a body that I can live with, that I'm pretty happy with today. And that's a terrifying thing for me to say because I'm afraid it's going to go away. But the more I focus on my spiritual progress, the more the food is ancillary. And I'm not saying it's perfect. Like, I still, I still, I don't eat recreational sugar, but other things that are sweet are okay for me. Like, cane makes me the vampire. Other stuff seems to be more okay. I kind of, I eat something sweet most days, you know? It's not perfect. Sometimes I eat weird combinations of food, but, like, my body doesn't change, and it doesn't take me out, and so that kind of, like, it's not unmanageable, so it feels okay, and God has it. So, um, and when, when I am not sure, then I ask, like, okay, what would God have me do? Like, last night, the perfect example was supposed to be a date night with my husband, and he doesn't feel well, and, like, usually we go out, because this is, like, the one night we get to, like, be grown up and go out. My husband's sick, and so we went to, like, the crappy Jewish deli and had chicken soup on a date night, which was supposed to be, like, fancy and fun and go out for dinner, and, like, we went with, and, like, that was so not sexy, but, like, the question we asked was, what would God have us eat? And God would have us eat Jewish deli. Like, that's it. So, it was, you know, it's clear. It's, um, I hope that answers the question. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, do you have any the question is, how do I deal with the mean voice uh, that talks meanly to myself? Um, I, it's, it's a really good question. Sometimes I am able to say, thank you for sharing. Um, sometimes I have to call a fellow at who, at various fellows, but one in particular likes to tell me when, like, that's not helpful and to identify that voice for me. So from other people, my husband is helpful. Thank God my husband's in program. Like, he's really helpful in letting go of the shame piece or being gentle with me. And also, he's really, really honest with me, so I know he's not just saying it to be nice, you know? Um, I'm so grateful that I have a relationship with him that if I literally say, uh, does this look good on me, he will say no, so that I know that, what, you know what I mean? Like, he's honest. And, or even, like, do you think I could have done that better? He will say, I do. I understand, but here's maybe what you could have done differently. So... Um, I have, like, a groundedness in my life that kind of lets me know where I'm being too hard on myself and where I can just be an acceptance of where I'm at. Um, 
but I still struggle with shame a lot, you know. Uh, but something else that somebody told me that was super helpful is shame is something that isn't actually God-given. Like, most of our character defects come from God because they help us in some way, but uh, most of the time, shame isn't helpful. Like, there's no upside to shame. The only kind of shame that's helpful is the kind of, like, prevents you from going to the bathroom in the street. Like, that's helpful shame. Seriously. So, seriously, that's, like, good whatever. But for the most part, shame is not something that, like... Like, there's an upside to vanity. There's an upside to, like, most of our other character defects, but this one, not so much. So, that helps you be like, oh, I'm experiencing shame. I should just give that up. That's me, not God. You know? Yes. The question is, what do I do in the morning to center myself? Uh, I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I've fallen off the wagon in terms of my morning ritual um, because of the baby. Although, here's what I will say. Every night when I put my son to sleep, um, right before I put him down, he sleeps on the shoulder for a minute, and I thank God so much for the biggest blessing in my life. So that's part of my ritual. Um, every night at dinner, my husband and I talk about six things that went right during the day, which is kind of like during a mini tenth step. And then when I remember to, which I've been really good at, and then I wasn't because I've been in the hospital with my son and all this stuff, but I send a tenth step to my an AEIOU to my sponsor, which sometimes is at night while I'm nursing my kid, and sometimes is in the morning when I realize, oh, wait, I didn't do that, you know? I try to meditate. Uh, I was for a long time meditating at least seven minutes a day. Um, and then I, I do a lot of new agey spiritual whatever. So uh, then it was suggested to, to connect with a whole bunch of different stuff. So I was doing seven with one thing and ten with another. And I was, I was gratefully unemployed for five months, gratefully. Um, and so I had some time, you know, uh, to really connect uh, spiritually. So... I don't know that I have a particular everyday ritual other than, like, those things. And, and the most helpful thing I ever did, honestly, and I wish I had the willingness to do it or the time, was to write a three-page letter to God every day. It actually was the most uh, incredible gift of my life. And then to get on my knees and ask God to help me be the fullest and most extraordinary expression of my most unique self. That was my prayer every day. And still, when I'm lost, that's the prayer. I, like, if I get three minutes in the shower, I get down on my knees in the shower and I do that prayer. Um, and I've just now, nine years in the program, been willing to call my sponsor every day, 8.45 in the morning, which I haven't done for the last week because she's out of town and my kid is sick. But, uh, you know, progress, not perfection, right? The willingness at all to even have a reminder in my phone that says that is a big deal. So. Oh. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> The question is, uh, do I ever find myself judging my spouse's program because we're both in program? Uh, sure. I mean, it, it's interesting. It's, it's, uh, it's both sides, right? It's like I, when he first, he got, he's in a program for four years. I've been in a program for nine. So when he first got in the room, like my husband is way more um, personable than I am. Like people love him. Like he's just, he makes everybody feel like the most important person in the room. And so the fellowship and outreach part of it was, like, super easy for him. And I have social anxiety. And so I was really, like, jealous, actually, that he kind of took to this like a fish to water. And he, for me, like, I have my God squad, and he doesn't have that because he just, like, talks to everybody. So he's envious of that, you know? He's like, well, I want a group of people like you, you have. I'm like, well, they're your people, too. We're married. Like, they kind of come with the, they love you, too. But he feels like, you know, 
Um, I think I have adjusted my food plan to fit his abstinence. Part of his abstinence is he doesn't eat after 10. And so most of the time I try not to eat after 10 because there's really no reason to eat after 10. I don't have it on my abstinence because then it will just make me crazy and also being pregnant and nursing and like it was just harder. But uh, that was helpful. Um, sometimes I'm his abstinence police. Like he, part of his abstinence is that he doesn't take seconds and probably at, at least half a dozen times in the last four years. I've been like, is that? And he's like, oh my God. But okay, like I saved his, I saved that. You know, I, it, I ask the question. I don't say don't do that. Like I'm trying to not be an Al-Anon about it. But you know, the day before his fourth birthday, he almost broke his abstinence and absentmindedly. And I, I was able to be like, does that count as, it's cool if it doesn't. Do whatever you want. I just want to. Um, and he was like, oh, no, no, no. So that, you know, that's really helpful. Um, but yeah, like sometimes when he's working, he doesn't go to meetings because he likes to work or doesn't like to work but feels compelled to work. Um, and, and I, you know, but I try to encourage him. So, but at the end of the day, it, it couldn't be a bigger blessing to like have a meeting at dinner. You know what I mean? It's kind of like every night. It's awesome. So, yeah. Yes, thank you for asking. The question is, talk about the steps and did I have a profound experience with any of them? I think I had a profound experience with all of them. And I, you know, here's the dirty secret. I've been in program for nine years and I haven't finished all 12 steps. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, sometimes lazy um, and resistant and rebellious. Um, and, uh, and also just like, I think it's arrogant. Like that thing about as long as I put God, I do a ton of other spiritual work. And I don't mean that defensively. I mean that just like that had been so helpful to me in my own spiritual growth that I kind of have circled back around to the steps now, you know. Um, so for me, when I was really early in program, somebody told me just get through the first three so you can lean on God. And I was like, eh, I don't get it. And then I did it. And that's true. Like once I was able to get through step three, I was able to lean on God, which is incredibly helpful to me. After I did steps four and five, I lost 20 pounds and didn't change my food. Um, that was a remarkable gift. My relationship with my mother changed. And also, uh, I was about to get married, and uh, my grandparents on my father's side came up, and I hadn't spoken to them in 10 years. And my sponsor was like, look, the steps are in order for a reason, and also, if you feel like you want to make amends to your grandparents who are old and who knows what's going to happen with them before you get married so you can move forward and like, create your own family cleanly, I support that. And so I wrote them both a letter, uh, a card, actually, an amends card. And three days before I got married, I heard from my grandfather for the first time in 10 years. He called me and was like talking to a dead person, honestly. Because um, the other grandfather, who my son is named after, was deceased at that time. And I had a grandpa who was alive who, you know, my relationship with my grandmother, I made the amends, but also I didn't really need to have a relationship with her. That's the truth. Like, I apologize for holding on to the grudge, and also she's not somebody that felt safe to me. That's the loving way to put it. My grandfather, like, was riddled with character defects, but also I loved him, you know, and I just didn't talk to him. And he called me, and uh, we had a relationship after that. Uh, they weren't at my wedding, but, like, I went in for their anniversary party, and I got to my whole dad's whole side of the family got all these cousins back and a whole family. And um, I still have that. And then my, my dad's parents both died and I didn't have to scramble to make the amends. You know, like they were already done. And it's a miracle. It's a huge miracle. Um, 
because it was clean. It wasn't like, oh, I better do it because they're going to die. It was like I just did it to be a human in the world, you know? So that was profound. Uh, I made amends to uh, the person who made my life miserable for a year professionally. And uh, that, was, that was the one I was dreading the most, by the way. Part of the reason I didn't want to do the steps was because I was afraid of making amends to my grandparents. And I did that one first. So that was awesome. And then also, I made amends to this person in my work life. And that was like, I hated him. I hated him so much. He was so mean to me. And then I was in a position of being a boss and had somebody who I think probably acted like I acted to him. And I was like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> now I get it. And I didn't behave that way toward her, but I totally understood the impulse. And so I got to call him and tell him that. Um, not like you were an asshole and now I get it, but like, hey, I'm sorry that I was difficult. That must have been really hard for you. Um, and that was, he's like, I don't have any recollection of that, which is crazy because I'm like, well, if you didn't think I was difficult, why were you so mean to me? But uh, <laughs> I didn't say that. I just got to like be clean about it. And now I'm not, I used to be afraid to go to functions to run into him. I, I actually even told somebody like, I will go work for that guy again if you need me to. That's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, I think those are the big ones. You know, and, and another person who I kind of held a resentment against for years professionally, I apologized to him for being difficult. He's like, I thought that was part of your charm. And I just got to let go of it, you know? So I guess the takeaway is that I'm difficult. Uh, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. <laughs>